was a bright cold day in April, and the clocks were striking thirteen. Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show, hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkey, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! Welcome to our second season of the Authors' Roundtable. What would you say are the top ten greatest book opening lines you've ever read? We opened our show today with one of our top ten. Here is another. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. So how are these matching up to your top ten so far? Before I tell you another, which I'm revealing in no particular order, do you recognize them? Which book is each from? Who's the author? And what year was it published? That's your task. Which book? Which author? Which year? Here's our third. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Ariano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. My name is Neville. This season's Rung Table panel of authors are from around the globe. Uh, they're from America, Canada, the Caribbean, South America, Asia, Africa, and the UK. They include emerging and established authors, New York Times best-selling authors and award-winning authors, as well as independent, small, and large publishing house authors. They are fiction and non-fiction writers, covering many genres, including literary, sci-fi, fantasy, mystery, inspirational, self-help, children, and young adult. So we have a good mix for you. We'll be serving up some delectable dishes. So pull up a chair throughout the season. Welcome. The honor of opening this, our second season of the Authors' Roundtable, falls to sci-fi fantasy author H. Leighton Dixon. She is Canadian. Mrs. Dixon studied zoology at the University of Guelph. She worked in the Edinburgh Zoological Gardens in Scotland, where she was chased by lions, wrestled deaf tigers, and fed antibiotics to polar bears. She has been writing since she was 13, has three dogs, two cats, one horse, three kids, and one husband, and claims to have not killed any of them yet. 
She's also an artist and has now created a new world for us to inhabit. Lisa Sandham, writing about our guest's body of work for Bayview magazine, entitled An Author's Journey, says this, Imagine a future where humans no longer exist. A tale spun conjuring visions of lions, tigers, and wolves that walk amongst snow-covered mountains. Through written page, a fantastical world is born where the influences of dynastic China, ancient India, and feudal Japan spring to life. Such a world exists and is the brainchild of local author H. Leighton Dixon. She continues the article disclosing that Dixon is in the midst of writing her fourth novel, Cold Stone and Ivy. Her new novel is brewing excitement within the literary world. And last year, she signed with the prestigious Donald Mass Literary Agency in New York City. Author, imaginary genius, engineer of fantastical worlds, H. Leighton Dixon. Welcome to the Author's Rug Table. Uh, Thank you. Share with our audience, please, a bit about who you are. Um, sure. I love animals. I work with carnivores mainly um, and have always. Um, and I started writing, actually, sort of came about accidentally. I am also an artist, and I was working for DC Comics um, several years ago uh-huh. and had an idea in mind for a graphic novel. Uh-huh. And, um, the, and it took place in this particular world that I had imagined. And um, it just started to become bigger and bigger, so I thought, well, I'll wait. I'll wait before I start doing the pencils on those. I'll just kind of flesh out the story first. And then the story just kind of grew. It just kind of went, it got bigger and bigger until it was actually a novel, not just a story that I could put pencils to. So that's, yeah, so that's sort of how I got my start in writing. Ah, well, before we go into the novels, you, t- you just mentioned two things that are... I have keen interest in okay. the fact that you're a zoologist and the fact yes. that you're an artist with DC Comics. Oh, now, yes. I, don't, yes. I don't know which one I'll start with, but let's start with your zoologist. Since how did you get into zoology? And give us that, uh, that uh, trend there. Sure. I, I, I've always loved animals. It's, I think it's, you're kind of born with it. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. That was kind of the natural or the, the normal stream, right? Mm-hmm. But when I got to university, and I was actually working at a, at a veterinarian's place when I was, before I went to university. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got to university, I started taking some zoology courses. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of actually not just you know, doing vaccinations and spaying and neutering and checking cats and dogs, the actual idea of working with lions and tigers and bears and, and uh, you know, that wild, um, like the, the predatory birds, that just, it just sparked my imagination. It just captured me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I couldn't, I, I didn't want to just stay in a veterinarian's office. I wanted to go bigger. So that's, yeah, I pursued that. And it was, uh, it was great. I worked in the Edinburgh Zoo for, for quite a while. So that was wonderful. I worked in the, actually in the predatory bird section there, but Whenever they wouldn't have somebody in the carnivore section, then I was always the go-to girl. So they would sub me in, and that was the best part. I loved that so much. Well, I read about you dancing or playing with these dangerous animals. Tell me about that. Yes, they had, um, in, in the Edinburgh Zoo, they had a tigress. She mm. had been born in captivity. Her name was Lotus, uh-huh. and she was deaf. 
And, oh. and you could go in with her and, well, only the, the keepers, obviously, not like the person off the street, but the keepers <laughs> could go in and you could wrestle with her, you could play with her, you could pat her, and mm. she would roll on her back like a big cat and you uh. could rub her tummy uh. and she would purr and hit you and, and, yeah, she was fabulous. And she was deaf. It was really interesting. So she now, couldn't even hear herself make noises. Now, so you never were scared at all? Or what, what? Not, not of Lotus, no. Of the lions, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You would have to go in with two keepers. You couldn't go in with just one because one was always on the lookout. And the male lion, he would just be laying there like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the lioness, she would always be watching and she would always be standing. And sometimes she would chase you and you would have to run. And oh. so you needed two people because if you got eaten, like somebody could tell on you. So, yeah, you needed two people there. Okay, wonderful. Now you also mentioned that you work for DC Comics and that you're an artist. I haven't seen any of your art unless yeah. those, or unless you're the artist for the covers of your books. But, but yes, uh, I am. Yes, ah, I, so the artist for the cover of my books. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll yeah. put some of that out on the website. Yeah. T- t- tell me about that, please. The DC or the art covers? But, uh, either. Okay. Sure. Well, the art covers because I'm a zoologist and I I love animals. I know how they're going to look. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know human anatomy. So there's probably I I. I I probably sound vain if I say this, but probably not many people can put the two together <laughs> like I can, just with my knowledge, right? Right, right. And, um, and I'm working right now with my husband um, in Photoshop. That's what I do right now. I'm not working in my field of zoology now. Mm. I'm working with him. He's a professional photographer. Ah. So I'm his, I'm his Photoshop girl. Mm. And uh, I can do all kinds of crazy things on Photoshop. And um, yeah, so I just started playing around one day because I knew I had these images in my mind, what I wanted them to look like. And I, had, I actually paid a fellow once a comic book, a graphic novelist to um, to do it, and he did a good job. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I could do better. Ah. So yeah, I wanted to make it even more, you know, more beautiful, more elegant. So um, yeah, so that's what I did, and I love doing it. I love doing book covers. I would, if anybody needs a book cover, I'll totally do it because oh. I love it. It's really fun. Good, good. Now let's talk about your books. So <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, tell us about them. Okay, they um they are. At first glance, you would think that they are just fantasy, mm-hmm. but it's actually sci-fi fantasy. You find out about halfway through the first book that this is actually the future. This is uh, actually a post-apocalyptic um, civilization that has risen um, after the collapse of the human, uh, human civilization. And the, the cats, there are cat people, there are some dog people, but, it, but it's not just like furry people walking around. They actually have civilizations mm-hmm. and, uh, and quite intricate and complex civilizations. Uh, and they rose up sort of after the fall of humanity. But the people themselves are genetically engineered people, and they have been genetically engineered to survive diseases that were um, also engineered to kill people uh, mm-hmm. back in the days of the wars. So they do find out sort of at the end of their, not at the end, but sort of in the middle of their journey that they are engineered. They've been made this way, mm-hmm. and their enemies, have been made this way and uh, is sort of unraveling that um, the mystery but still um, very much entrenched in their civilization and their civilization is I love it it's really cool um, very Asian mm-hmm. uh, a very um, dynastic China feudal Japan and ancient India all those cultures kind of blending and taking little bits from each of those cultures mm-hmm. and making it almost a big melting pot where you have lots of um, Lots of tradition, lots of ritual, lots of taboos, mm-hmm. lots of beauty, lots of, uh, lots of culture. So, yeah, I just made it very rich. And uh, I think that kind of reverberates with people. It really resonates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, could you, are you willing to read a bit for us, please? Oh, sure. While Ms. Dixon prepares to read for us, let me share with you two more of our top ten greatest opening lines of all times. Every good writer sweats blood to come up with that most compelling of lines that will capture a reader from the get-go. Here is our fourth. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. So how are you doing so far? Here is number five. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Did any of these five make your top ten list? Who is the author? What's the name of the book? When was it written? Here is author H.L. Dixon. So this is sort of near the beginning of the third book. Um, right now I have, I re- had only, I'd written one book and it was really big. Um, and after speaking with um, uh, an agent from New York, um, he had suggested that I split it into two books. Mm-hmm. So two books of sort of, you know, 300 pages each. That's a nice good size book. That's right. Um, so, and then I thought I was going to be done. But I actually had people reading and then commenting they wanted more. They wanted more. This, no, no, we need more of this. We can't, we can't be done here. So I had in the back of my mind um, other stories. Uh-huh. And that just kind of gave me the nudge that I needed to, to write some more. So uh, I have the third book out right now, Songs in the Year of the Cat. Um, I have plans for another three books in that world and then two prequels. Mm-hmm. So that's a, lot of, that's a lot of cat books, I say. So <laughs> I also have another series on the go with my agent in New York, but... That's, um, that's not what we're talking about here. So. Oh, okay. okay, so I'll read. So yeah, this is sort of near the beginning of Songs in the Year of the Cat. Mm-hmm. Okay. The servant girl bowed in the fashion of women with the knees and the eyes as he slipped past her into the imperial residence. He found it remarkable how no one questioned his actions, how easily he could move in and out of the most sacred place on earth. And he made a mental note to ask Ling about it sometime. Perhaps, as women, they simply carried certain agreements certain understandings about them. It was possible, for he was inexperienced with women and knew little about how they thought or ordered themselves. It was much easier to believe Lin had threatened them with death if they spoke about it. That was how a man would handle it if the roles were reversed. (laughs) It was a mystery, but then again, cats are mysterious people. He was being followed. A spy, most likely, or another Kunoichi, commissioned by Chancellor Ho. Perhaps the whole council this time. They would surely be in agreement. He was far too dangerous now. It was dark, only a few candles flickering as twilight stretched blue fingers into the room, turning statues into shadows, turning chairs into enemies. He strained his ears, only the sound of wind chimes, sleeping peacocks, fountains. He saw her standing at a far window, made very small by the height and color of the panes. She was in deep purple, layers of silk and satin and a headdress of rich gold. It looked like the sun rising, and he thought it fitting. 
the sun truly did rise and set with Thothlor and Perilo, Markolda, Wu. He moved to stand beside her, noticing a peacock chick asleep in her sleeve. They have scheduled your debriefing in one week, she said, not looking at him. He nodded. I have much to tell them. They will not believe you. The only glass I can polish is my own. She smiled slightly, her gaze, flick, her gaze fixed on the flickering rooftops of the city below. You sound like a seer. Two years spent in such company. He smiled now at the memory, but shook his head. I cannot convince them, no matter what I say. The dangers are real? Very, from within and without. The council is not united, Kiran san. He sighed. I've heard. I am sorry. This has nothing to do with you and everything. I should leave. No, I forbid it. Lane, I'm a bird in a bamboo cage. They can at least allow me my songs. His heart broke for her. I have done everything they asked of me. I have ruled well. I have furthered the wall. I have consolidated the empire. I have married a man of sacred blood. I have borne a sacred daughter. I have never set foot outside of these walls, and I will very likely die, never having done so. She took a deep, cleansing breath. It is never enough. You are enough. Hmm. She smiled again. I used to dream of the time you'd return. He smiled, too. I would dream that I would see you in a hallway, just a glimpse of mane or tail or that tattered golden sash. I dreamed I would run to you when you would take my hand and we would flee together out of the palace and down the 100 steps and disappear forever in the crush of the city. I could live like a common woman, love an uncommon man, and never have to pick up the burden of government ever again. That is what I dreamed. He thought for a moment. I myself have dreamed that dream, he said finally, but it is always ending the same. She turned now, and he was surprised to see a single tear making a line of silver down her cheek. How does it end? With guilt and shame and a troop of soldiers dragging me to my death while carrying you back to the palace in a palanquin? That's a terrible dream. Yes, this is much better. She laughed. It was the song of sparrows. And so I am to accept my cage? For now. But if there is one thing I have learned in these last terrible years, is that life is strange. Change is inevitable and not to be feared. You have become wise, Kiran-san. No, just older. She reached up to stroke his face. He took her hand and kissed it, thinking he was the happiest he'd ever been in his life and wondering just how long her songs would last. Wonderful. H. Leighton Dixon reading from her book, Songs in the Year of the Cat. Yo, desde que nací, sabía que iba a ser escritor. Quería ser escritor. Tenía la voluntad, la disposición, el ánimo y la aptitud para ser escritor. Siempre escribí, nunca pensé que pudiera hacer otra cosa. Nunca pensé que de eso pudiera vivir. Estaba dispuesto a morirme de hambre, pero, para, pero ser escritor. Let me take this moment to honor a literary giant who has left his true works of genius. Gabriel García Márquez, most notably known for his Pulitzer Prize novel, One Hundred Years of Solitude. Gabriel García Márquez. Writers are a unique breed of humanity, I think. A few years ago I was with Isabella Allende, listening to her and watching Beautiful words dropped like pearls from her lips. In tribute to the brilliance of this magical writer, she said of all writers, Somehow writers summarize our reality, the collective dreams, 
the collective hopes, the fears. They give us back our history. I like that. You are on the journey, and it's time for our question of the week. Our question of the week is this. Which writer so far has best captured the story of who you are? Which writer so far has best captured the story of who you are? Here are two more of our ten top greatest opening lines. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it if you really want to know the truth. Yep, who wrote it? In which book? When? Here's another of our top ten greatest opening lines. This will be a double dip. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Our guest opening season two of the Authors Roundtable is sci-fi author H. Leighton Dixon. Can you tell us how we can get your books? Um, right now, they're only available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, they're self-published. I have a publisher interested in them right now. They've sent the contract to my agent, and so she's negotiating it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a small um, uh, sci-fi fantasy company from Seattle. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I do enjoy being self-published with these books. I like the control that I have. Mm -hmm. um, but you never know. Uh, the other books that I've written that are with the agent, those are probably going to go traditional. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're at Penguin and Bain right now. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. It's a very interesting kind of a uh, yeah exciting time for me. So sort what of, with world sort of lo lo love it. So what what is your desire long run to keep uh, uh, striding both self-publish and regular publishing or do like you well, go ahead yeah sorry I think that's it I in my heart of hearts I think I would really like that mm -hmm. um, I do like the independence of self-publishing mm -hmm. um, but I want the validation of traditional publishing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's terrible right no um, no I understand yeah and so we'll see. The, um, I have um, the one that the agent is, is with. It's like a gothic thriller, um, steampunk alternate history sort of. Right. Um, and so that, that, that'll be traditionally published. Uh, and I have several um, sequels for that, like a trilogy, of course, because everything nowadays you have to have a trilogy. Right, so right, <laughs> I have a trilogy right. for that. Right. <laughs> sort of 
fantastical series in my head, lots of, lots of one-off books. Okay. So, yeah, ultimately, I would love to be an author full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll still always help my husband, and, but I would like to give him a break. He works so hard. I'd like to let him sit on the beach <laughs> with a Mai Tai, you know, <laughs> let me do the work for a So that is my dream. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned something that might not be familiar to all the audience. That's okay. Steve, steampunk. Oh, steampunk, yeah. Okay, tell us what that is. I love steampunk. Um, I didn't. I was not familiar with the term until a few years ago. Mm. Uh, but I grew up on uh, Jules Verne, H.G. Uh, Wells, uh, yeah. Holmes Doyle. Like, like I uh, read all classic literature, uh, basically from the 1700s to the turn of the ninth, the turn of the 20th century. Mm. Um, no, sorry, 19th century. Mm. What is that? 1988, 1888. Right. The turn of the 19th century. Right, That's what right, it. Right. Um, so that that what I grew up with. I love that. But I'm also a sci-fi geek, so I didn't. I thought this was just like me being weird or geeky because I love that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I started writing this Victorian thriller, and it wasn't quite working. And just it was just kind of it wasn't working. And I was talking with my son. Uh, he's 18, and he said, "Mom, you should make it steampunk." And I said, "Steampunk? What? What's steampunk?" <laughs> and right away, it made me go, "Oh, what's that?" And he said, "Mom, it's you." And he showed me like I had cogs and gears in my house. I have old typewriters, and mm-hmm. it looks like something out of Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. And and he told me that's what it is. It's like taking a Jules Verne or a H.G. Wells novel mm-hmm. and making it now. And once you are sort of once you realize that, yeah, it's like everything you see now. Wow, yeah, that's gothic. Oh, that's steampunk. Oh, it's yeah. If if, if steam did not be pushed aside in favor of oil, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's a, it's fascinating. I I just love it. I love the mythos. I love the whole the look of it. I love the history around it and the mythology around it. So yeah, it it I was steampunk before I even knew I was steampunk. So, yeah. <laughs> so do you have to do a lot of research, or do you just uh, do you just depend upon the experience that you have and the readings that you've done in the past? Uh, I I do like to do research. Um, I think that's one thing. Um, that when, when, when I write, you feel like you're there. Mm-hmm. You, 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 I, I did so much research for the cat book um, because I've never been to Afghanistan. I've never been to India. I've never been to Nepal. And I wanted to feel like I did, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel like it, it would be, what it would be like if you were there, what it would smell like, what it would taste like. So I did a lot of research, and I think that just kind of spilled over into my steampunk books. Um, because they're historical, so I needed to get the history right. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm writing fiction, I still want to get the history right. right. You know, I don't right. change things. And it's like, hey, it's a book. It's right. but, uh, I still wanted to get it right. So um, I, I do a lot of research, yeah, I, uh, and I love to learn. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a learner. So the more research I can do, the, I think the more authentic my stories seem. All right. Well, Heather, I, I so appreciate you coming on the journey. Before I let you go, we're going to play a small game. Yep, it is game time. We're sending Heather off to a strange island for a decade, and she will not be in touch with anything or anyone she knows during that hiatus. She can only take four things with her. What do you think she will take? You're allowed to take one book with you. Okay. What book would that be? My favorite book is The Lions of Al-Rasan, by fantasy author Guy Gabriel Kay. Mm-hmm. He's Canadian. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not about lions. <laughs> Again, it's an alternate uh, history of Moorish Spain. Hmm. I, I love that book. That book, I read it in one night, cried for the rest of the night and the rest of the day, and it changed the way I write. It changed the way I do all kinds of things. Okay. Brilliant book. Good. You're also allowed to take one luxury item. Oh, okay. What would that be? Dear. No, tea doesn't count as a luxury item, right? Tea is a staple. I'll so. let you decide. <laughs> okay, a luxury item, wine. Wine, okay, good. Which particular wine do you know? Cab Shiraz. Ah. Now you're allowed to take, as well, one meal. Uh, oh. that, <laughs> you'll never have a chance to taste it again until okay. you return a decade later. Okay. Mm, I have to say curry chicken. Ah, well, I like curry as well. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't heard from any of the others curry chicken. But, <laughs> but that, that, that's... And you're allowed to take one pet. Oh, dear. Only one? Only one. <laughs> oh, dear. Does it have to be a living pet or can it be a dead pet? It's your, you have to be with that pet for 10 years. Okay. Because if, if it would be one of my pets that are still alive right now, it would be, hmm, hmm, I'm trying to think, because see, Marley would be a good protector, Charlie would be a good hunter, but Poppy is just so affectionate. And I've got all my cats. <laughs> I love those names, by the way. <laughs> you know, I'm weighing out, you know, what it would bring to the island. Like, would I need them to protect me? Would I need them just to look pretty? What would I need? <laughs> Uh, I would say Poppy, the, the golden retriever. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Now let's turn to the way you had put it. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll give you your chance to put your way. So what four things will you take with you? Time. Mm, time. Mm -hmm. Time. Um, music. Music. Mm -hmm. uh, water. Water. Okay. Like, yeah, like, like big water, ocean <laughs> or lake or like drinking water, yes, but like big, yes. big water. Yeah. Um, but you'll be on an island. That suggests know, that well, exactly. You, yeah. you, you already have water. Given, right? So maybe I don't have to bring that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and wine. Yeah, wine would come with me regardless. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe my laptop. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so I could talk with people. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, you, that wouldn't be allowed. I, I would be quite happy to be on the island by myself. That would be fine. Okay. Yeah. So how are you doing with your 10 top greatest opening lines? Here are our final three, again, in no particular order. Your task. Who wrote them? When? In which book? Number one of our final three. Sophie had waited all her life to be kidnapped. Number two. If you are interested in stories with happy endings, you would be better off reading some other book. Number three. Call me Ishmael. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love.
It is a joy having Miss Dixon open the author's roundtable for us. You'll find her books and her links on thejourney.riosports.com. Her website is hlaytondixon.com. That's it, hlaytondixon.com. Join us at the table again. Meet other authors from around the globe. And don't forget my audiobook, The Hunks I Dreamed, Breed Beyond the Hero, was published this week by Audible.com, by Amazon.com, and by iTunes. Enjoy The Hunks I Dreamed. Until I see you next week. <laughs>